0: It's always so grateful. I'm always so grateful to be in the house and to worship together and just to remind ourselves about the goodness of God. And uh, so thanks so much for being with us and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we are in our series called Summer in the Psalms as we navigate kind of just through the Psalms, or the heart of the Psalms. I was so grateful to have Pastor Dan Mose with us last Sunday. And uh, while I was away, my boys were playing in a baseball tournament. I had the opportunity to go and uh, be with them and to celebrate those moments as parents you understand those moments are precious my kids are almost you know I think about two more years of high school left I realize these moments are drifting away on me and so I like to take every opportunity I'm missing a game this morning though by the way just FYI Uh, but they are winning they are winning last I heard it was 12-0 12-1 I 12-1 I told my wife stop texting me because I got to be focused you know but uh, So I'm proud of them, and, and I'll catch up to that a little bit later. But hey, we are here today as we open God's Word. Uh, excited that Pastor Dan was here last week. Uh, next week we're going to hear from Pastor Nick as he shares his heart. And uh, we're also going to have an opportunity next Sunday to pray a blessing over Pastor Nick and Megan as they step into this new season of life and ministry. And while we're sad, again, that his vocation at the church is coming to a close, we are ecstatic that his ministry is not and he still continues to remain part of our family, and so we're going to hear from him next Sunday as he continues in Psalms, I think he's talking about Psalms 51. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. Well, this week we're in this series, Summer of the Psalms, we're exploring the fullness of God. In the book of Psalms, if you haven't had a chance to read it, there's 150 chapters throughout the book of Psalms, and it's divided through between five books. And there doesn't seem to be any kind of discernible distinction between, between them. But the purpose of the Psalms is really sim- is simple. It's to remind us that worship is at the center of everything. Worship is at the heart of everything. And while most people talk about God in that third kind of person, the Psalms and the, and the, the, the authors of the Psalms remind us that we can actually talk to God directly. We have this opportunity to share our heart not just about God but towards God. The Psalms are are full of praise, they're full of worship and adoration, repentance, frustration, confusion, longing, even anger at times, and whatever else people feel comfortable in pouring their heart out to God. This, This is a beautiful and complex, fully emotional book because it's people's hearts towards God. We've been camping on Psalm 16 as sort of the foundational text for our series, saying, You, God, you have made known to me the path of life. God, you have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And this is ultimately the heart of the Psalms, is that we get to walk with God, and he gets to direct our steps. We get to have this relationship with him, where he directs our steps, connects with us, and ultimately we get to spend eternity with. Now, what a beautiful reality that is. But here's the Clinch. The clinch, the clinches. we have to respond to that. The clinch is we have to lean in and say yes. We have to do our part. And so last week, Pastor Dan started with Psalm 91. Remind us that where we can find our refuge, or strength in seasons of storm or times of trouble. And so today we're going to look more closely at Psalm 139. 139, a really famous one. Many of you know, I've said it many times, that I love movies. I don't know if you love movies. Like I love movies, it's sort of, if you know, if we got a down night, I love putting on a good movie, I love them. I, I love just the, the places it takes us, I love the stories that they tell, especially the ones that are done in like the Roman era, you know, like the Greco-Roman era. My wife doesn't like them, they're too bloody, too gory, but that's the best part. But anyway, so I love movies, I love them all, but as much as I love movies, I have very little interest in celebrity gossip. Like, I, I, I find them fascinating. I find the stories that they tell. I find the events that they do. The, the games that they play. The, the lives that they live. Sure, it can be fascinating from a glance. But, but I have no interest in kind of being a fan. I have no interest in following their every detail. I know people who know every detail about certain individuals, whether it's artists or, or athletes or, or actors. They, they love their details. They, they get into them. They have them posted on their walls and they follow every move they make. And every magazine that has an article about them, they're salaciously reading them and catching up on the details of their life. But that stuff just, it's not that I don't even do it. It's just I don't even understand it. I don't understand the, the need to know so much about that person's life. And I think it comes down to, as, as much as I know about them, I realize that they will never know me. As much as I know about them and their eating patterns and their diets and their, work, their, their exercise routine and, and what movies they've made and where they go and how they play and how they train, they'll never actually know me. They won't even know my name, let alone all the other details that go along with this one-sided relationship. Because the knowing is just a one-way street. And so it doesn't interest me. You see, at our core, we all desire to what? To know others, but more than that, to be known by others, don't we? We want to know what's going on, but we also want to be known. And this is what relationship is all about. It's the seeking and the being sought after. It's the accepting and being accepted. It's the loving and being loved. It's the pouring into someone and allowing that other person to pour into us. It's the knowing and being known. And as I started thinking about that, as we been preparing for this talk today, I started thinking, I was like, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we can treat God in the same way. Sometimes we can approach God like he is some spiritual, celestial celebrity, and we're trying to gain as much information about him at the off chance that maybe he will get to know us. Maybe we'll grab his attention or his approval. Sometimes we focus on the immensity of God. He is big. He is powerful. He created the world, and, and his attributes are too big to fit into a single box, and so we're afraid to even try. But in doing so, we forget that he's also a very personal God, that he's also a very relational God. And all of a sudden, we, we view him as this, God as this distant or disinterested God, this ruler, and that scripture is some spiritual version of some celebrity magazine that we get to read or flip through casually, get to know about God, but never really know God or feel that he ever knows us in return. But the core message of Scripture as you read it is that God actually calls you and I, what, into a relationship, doesn't he? This is the heart of all Scripture is that he calls us into relationship. And the chief attribute of this relationship is to know and be known. It, it is a two-way street. It's the same as any human relationship, and it's also true in our relationship with God, Paul is talking to the church in Galatia and he says, Listen, before you knew God, before you followed him, before, before you, di- you didn't know God, but now you have come to know. Now you have come to know and rather be known by God. He speaks to this relationship, this awareness of him has changed. And now not only does he know you like he's always known you, but you are now know him. Jesus himself says in Matthew 10, Twenty nine thirty one. it says, Are two sparrows not sold for a penny? Yet how much more, uh, how much of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? Yet, and even one, uh, sorry, and even the very hairs of their head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than any sparrow. What is God saying here? He knows you intimately. He knows you detailed. He created you. He is intimately acquainted with every detail of his creation." And so as we look at Psalms 139, we, we see how the, the psalmist praises God for his amazing power. But he's not just talking about how big God is in this grandiose, unrelatable way. He's personalizing it. He's saying he's, God is using this power to show how much God knows me, how much he sees me. In fact, the whole psalm can be summed up, summarized in verse 17 when it says this, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God what a beautiful thought that we serve a God of the universe who created the heavens and earth who knit all the forms and fashions and cells and atoms and distinctions of land and sea all together and yet his thoughts to you and I are precious this whole psalm is a meditation on how deeply we are known by God The prophet Jeremiah reiterates this fact in Jeremiah 12.3. He says, but you know me, O Lord. You see me and you examine my heart's attitude toward you. And so today, it may sound like a really simple conversation, but I believe this is the foundation of a personal relationship with Jesus is not just knowing about God and not just knowing about that he knows us, but that we actually get to know him in return. And so we're going to explore 139 together, we're going to pray that we'll discover some attributes of God that reveal how He knows us intimately and personally, which will in turn, hopefully, lead us to the place where we get to know Him or want to know Him a little bit more, maybe a little more personally. You with me today? All right, so let's talk about Psalm number one. God, uh, the first attribute today is that God knows you because He sees you. God knows you because He sees you. He sees you. And this is the first section the psalmist speaks to. He talk, talks about God's omniscience. He's, he, 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 it means he knows everything. He's all-knowing. And, and while we might generalize this and say that it means that God knows everything, the psalmist personalizes it and says, well, God sees me and I'm fully known by God. I myself am known by God. And we got to be careful that this isn't some kind of creepy version of Santa Claus. You know, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. This isn't some creepy version of that story. This is all meant. To, this is all positive. This is something that is very good for us to lean into and accept and embrace. And so let's, t- let's pick up Psalm 139, verses 1. We'll start at verse 1. You can follow along the YouVersion Bible app, too, if you haven't done so already. The event and all of our notes are there for you to follow along. But Psalm 139, it says this. O oh Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm gonna say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. He goes on, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to even understand. This this idea that you see me. You see me. There's nothing I can do that there's nowhere I can go. There's nothing I can think about. There's nothing I can say that you don't see. So three things we can see really quickly as we read this first portion of Scripture when it relates to how God sees us. The first thing we do is we see that he sees our actions. The psalmist is saying, you see what I do. You, he knows what we're up to. And this is a really good thing. In Matthew 6, 4, Jesus even describes the Father as the, the Father who sees what is done in secret. God sees you, even the things that are done in secret, and sometimes we can use this scripture as parents, as pastors, to kind of shame our kids. I may not see what you're doing, but God sees everything you're doing in secret. Parents, no show of hands, but raise your hand in your heart if you've said that, you know. We've done it. We've all done it, right? He sees, and we kind of use it as a a shaming tool, and so we can read that again, and every time we read that, we can almost be full of fear or guilt. Maybe some condemnation, some shame comes in. But that's not the intention here. The intention is there's there's nothing that you have done that has escaped his sight. You are not lost. You are not forgotten. You are not overlooked. Listen, in a world where you can seem overlooked at every corner and every avenue, you need to know that God sees you. He sees you. Even when you feel you should not be seen because you are not worthy to be seen, I want you to know that God sees you in his heart. Beats for you you're not overlooked he sees your actions he sees everything that you are doing you have not escaped his notice we see that God sees your thoughts and this might be concerning for some of us right a little scary up there at times sometimes there's nothing happening at all we're gonna be honest that's that's true my wife will ask what are you thinking about and I legit will answer nothing Guys, understand what I'm talking about? Women have no idea what that actually means, right? Sometimes there's actually nothing. But God sees that nothingness, and he puts a little purpose in there. And at times our relationships break down because we don't know what the other person is thinking, right? We use this phrase, what do you think, I am a mind reader? You know, this kind of conversation. And God is. He he sees what you're thinking before you're even going to say what you say. He is intricately involved. He sees you. He doesn't just see your actions, but your thoughts and your intentions as well. And this isn't supposed to scare us, but remind us how God cares so deeply for us. I love it. Even how Paul talks about it in Romans 8. This isn't your notes, but we do not, even in those moments where we don't know what to pray, even those moments where we don't know how to articulate our thoughts towards God, it says that the Spirit then intercedes for us and even understands the groanings of our, the word, our wordless groans. He even understands our, our, our groans because he's so intimately involved with our thoughts. And those things we don't even know how to put into words, He hears our prayers in those moments. And I'm so grateful, because there are moments, even recently, that I don't even know how to articulate my heart in words, but I'm so grateful that God hears my thoughts and understands my heart. The third thing we see in this passage is that God sees our future. He sees your future. He, he doesn't just see where you, where you are and what you've done, but he sees where you're going. Sometimes we wonder whether God is, is knowing, whether, because God knows where we're going, if he even knows our future determines our future. We, you know, we have this kind of conversation. That, well, if God knows what I'm going to do, do I even have a chance of free will? But in this context, we, we, we see the word seeing as a good way to understand this kind of really big concept, this really theological understanding of foreknowledge and predestination. And we understand that God is not a limiter of time and space. He is not restricted to time and space like you and I are, which in itself is enough to blow our minds. Right? We're not designed to think like that. But he doesn't foresee anything. He just simply sees it as it is. Our beginning and our end is all just one gaze for God. And so when God sees our actions and our past and our present and our future, it's just one thought, it's one moment in his sight. All the time belongs to him. And so God is able to see your past, your present, and your future. And the psalmist has got a a heartbeat of that. And the first part of his psalmist says, God, I just want to acknowledge that you see me as I am. You see when I come and when I go. You see when I rise and when I fall. There's nothing I can do to escape me, escape from your sight. And that, for us today, is a great thing. We are not hidden from the sight of God. We are not hidden or walk away. So God sees, God knows you because he sees you. Secondly, we see that God knows you because he is near to you. In any good relationship, proximity is required, right? In any healthy, long-lasting, life-giving relationship, you need to be close to one another. That's why this next section of the psalm, God, uh, the psalm is focused on God's omnipresence, which means he is always near you. God, God sees and knows you because he's, he's always near. He never goes away and so we pick up in psalm 139 verse 7 he says i can never escape from your spirit i can never get away from your presence if i go up to the heavens you are there if i go down to the grave you are there if i ride on the wings in the morning if i dwell in the furthest oceans even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me he goes on i could i could ask the darkness to hide me and the light to be around me to be night but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. A darkness and light are the same to you. So not only does God see us, he sees us because he's near to us. And what does God's proximity mean, or why does it even matter? Well, the thing we need to understand is that God is near you everywhere. You know, you don't have to come to church to get near to God. You don't have to, to come to this, a certain place or a certain time. You don't have to come into a certain place to understand where God is. And, and, and this is a hard thing for us to understand because we live in a finite world where to be close to somebody, you need to be physically close to somebody. So this concept of God always being with me is a little bit hard for us to understand. That's why the psalmist kind of best describes it. Wherever I go, you are there. I can never escape from your presence. I love this interaction between Moses and Joshua. Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt and he's led them through uh, through, the, through the desert. And there's this come to a moment now where Moses is handling the mantle of leadership over to Joshua. Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land. So Moses is telling Joshua and the Israelites as they go, he kind of gives them this final benediction. He says, the Lord goes with you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And this type of confidence, this type of language only comes through the the experience that Moses had in his relationship with God. He's like, no matter what I did, I knew God was with me. And I know no matter where you go, God is going to be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is the interaction as Moses is letting Joshua know he's not doing this on his own. He's not doing this his own strength, but the Lord is with him. God is with us, and he's not only near us in certain places, but he is near us everywhere. He is present everywhere in his creation. Listen, he isn't the universe, nor is the universe inside of him. He doesn't fill the universe as some cosmic void. He is just here. He's in you. He's, he's, He's with you. He's completely present at every point in every person's life. He is invested deeply in you. God is near you also to lead you. He's near to lead you, to walk beside you. He's there not to criticize you, to trip you up, to catch you red-handed in moments of weakness. That's not the God we serve. He's not there try to nab you and, and catch you in a moment. He's, he's there to lead you, to direct you, to guide you, to help you. Proverbs 16 tells us that we may make our plans, but the Lord directs our steps. As he walks with us, he nudges us and leads us in directions that, that maybe we never thought of or seen before. I love the illustration of a and the visual of a travel agent and a tour guide. They both work in the same industry, but they have deeply different perspectives on the situation. A travel agent will sell you tickets to places they've never been, or maybe only seen in pictures or read about. But a tour guide will take you to places they've been many times before. And we don't serve a God who's a travel agent who's saying, go here and do that and go a place. We serve a God who walks with us, who directs us, who leads us and directs our steps and shows us places that we and our own strength and our own might never may see. God desires to walk with us, to show us the pathway that leads to life, to ensure that we are in firm footing on rocky terrain. So God is near us everywhere. God is near to lead us. And thirdly, we see that God is near to comfort you. He wants to comfort you you might be scared of the dark, but God isn't. You might be scared, you might be plagued with uncertainty or doubt, fear, but you don't have to because you don't know where you are, but I want to tell you that God is walking with you and he knows what is coming next. In him we can walk with a sense of confidence. Philippians 4 tells us that we can to be anxious about nothing, but pray about everything and we use that line a lot, but if we go to the verse before it, it says, "Listen, the Lord is near." The Lord is near to you, so be anxious for nothing, right? The Lord is near you, so you don't have to be worried. We don't don't worry in our own strength. It's not that we muster up their own courage not to worry. We worry because we know we're in the presence of God. We know we're not to worry because we're in the presence of our Father. He is near there to comfort us and to guide us and to protect us so we can say with confidence, I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper, and he will walk with us. And so he knows us because he's present. His proximity is close. We don't need to be worried or anxious because his presence and his proximity are close to us or comfort us. And thirdly, we see that God knows us because he made us. He knows us because he made us. In the same way that an architect knows every square inch of building because he built it knows and knows what it's built for. So God, the architect of our lives, he knows us because he made us. He knows what we were, what is a part of us. He knows what we were created for. And this knowledge speaks to God's omnipotence, doesn't it? Meaning that he is all-powerful, and this power is to create life and give meaning to all life that he created. We can pick up in Psalm 139, it continues, for you made all the delicate things inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb thank you for making me so wonderfully complex that's how my wife describes herself i'm just wonderfully complex she's right your workmanship is marvelous how well i know it you've watched me as i've been formed in utter seclusion even as i was woven together in the dark of the womb you saw me before i was born Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before the single day had even passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. I, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you, you are still with me. This is a beautiful passage that we speak about a lot. We use this verse a lot, especially with children. But you and I, we, we don't outgrow this passage of Scripture. We don't outgrow this, we don't, you know, mature out of this idea that we were knit together, formed together intentionally and with purpose in our mother's womb. That every one of us were designed with a plan and a purpose. So, what does the psalmist know, even though that he wants us to know? Three things really quick that God made you on purpose. And again, we know this. I believe this with my whole heart that God made you on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. No matter what anyone tells you, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. You are not an oops. You are not. There is no accidents in the kingdom of God, and no life was formed without the breath of God. So you may not be, you may not be planned, but you are not an accident. No matter the circumstances, as tragic as some of them may be, that brought the, the, the pieces together, God had to breathe the spark of life. So God is intricately involved in that process. He, he, and he knits you together with purpose. So you don't ever believe the fact that I was just a whatever, and my life doesn't matter. No, no, you matter to God. He made you. Not only did he make you, but he made you unique. He made you unique, and some of you are very unique people. Every family has one. If you don't know who that person is, you're it. All right? We all have one. Very, very unique people. And he made you unique. And he understood, he, he, he formed you together skillfully and with intentionality, warts and all. You may, understand, you may look at yourself, why did God give me that thing? Or why did God make me look like this? Or, or like He had a plan for you. God even uses these perceived defects in our lives for his glory. These things that we think are shortcomings or hindrances or hurdles. He uses them for his glory. Here's the catch, if we let him. If we let him. He can use all of us. The things that we don't even see of, of strength, he can use as strength. I love how Mother Teresa puts it. She says, what I can do, you cannot. And what you do, I cannot. But together, we can do something beautiful for God. I just love this idea that we're so uniquely made created with purpose and your purpose isn't my purpose and your uniqueness isn't my uniqueness and my job is not not to be a replica of you my job is to be the full fullest version of who god made me to be and together respect one another's differences and uniquenesses and work together as a body as a unit for a combined purpose and that is the beauty of the body of christ that is the beauty of the church it's unity not uniformity And unity, what is unity? It's diversity submitted, right, one to another. Understanding the uniquenesses, how God made you and me, all made with a plan, all made with a purpose. And rather, the third thing, God made us all for a plan. Before you and I even lived a single day, God saw you. Listen, this this psalmist had a revelation from God in this moment. Science wasn't around to give us this information. But before even they lived a single day, I just believed, God, you have a plan for my life. Every step that I was gonna, I'm going to take is ordained by you and set in motion long before I was even born. God not only saw us, but he sowed into the story a reason for living. That God has a plan for creating you the way he wanted you to be in order to fully live out that plan. One of the verses we use a lot in relation to this context is Ephesians 2.10, rather, where Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, and he's reminding them, listen, You are God's handiwork. Again, you are not an accident. You are not an oops. You are not just thrown together casually by some cosmetic force or some big bang. You are intentionally created, intentionally made. You are, in fact, God's handiwork. Another translation says you are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus, what? Not just to look good. Not just to post up and see, look at me. But no, to do good works to do something with purpose and a plan that God has for your life which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the journey I think for all of us is to continue to live out God. What is that journey? What what is that purpose? What is that plan that you have for my life? I don't want to miss out God on the perfect plan that you created me to live out. I don't want to miss out on the, uh, 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 on the, the purpose in which you created me so Lord, not only do I, I want you to know me, I want to know you. I want to know your heart for me. First John tells us that we love because he first loved us. And I believe relationship is the same way that we can know God because he first knew us. He first knew us and because of his knowledge of us that he sees us, that he's near to us, that he created us, he invites us into this beautiful relationship. He invites us in relation to, to, to know and to be known and if i could just kind of be a little bit raw and honest with you today at the risk of offending some and i'm not trying to offend any and i'm not trying to pull any kind of pastoral card but this is something i see and i believe it's a tragedy one of the greatest tragedies that we accept as sort of normal is settling for the knowledge about god and miss on the opportunity to know god a lot of us settle. We come to church. We hear a story about somebody else's experiences. We learn a lot about God. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, even, even at that, we would have to admit we actually really don't know God very personally. It's like I can tell you the stories about my wife. tell you the things she likes and she doesn't like. I can tell you where she grew up and her, what her family dynamic was like. I can tell you how we met. I can tell you how she, uh, the meal she's really good at making. I can tell you about the time she did not make chili very well, but I ate it anyway. I can tell you all these stories about my wife. But unless you actually meet her, you'll never know her. And I feel as a church, we learn a lot about God. And some of us just settle there. But God is inviting us to know Him. The Old Testament church only got to know about God through the high priests or the prophets' experiences of God. They, there's no way they ever thought that they would ever get to hear from God themselves. And Jesus comes into the world, and He bridges the gap between a broken humanity and a God, an amazing God, a holy God. And it says when he died on the cross that the veil of the temple was torn in two. And what that was simply was saying is, listen, we all can have a relationship with God. We don't have to go through the high priest once a year, but every one of us were invited into a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus, through his death and resurrection on the cross. That is an affor- something that you and I have, uh, have received that we have available to us that the Old Testament church did not have. And yet many of us take that for granted. Many of us squander it and waste the opportunity away. The psalmist reminds us that God invites us into a relationship with Him, and to form that relationship, we experience these amazing moments and movements of God. John Wimber, he says, the ability to hear what God is saying, to see what God is doing, and to move in the realm of the miraculous comes as an individual develops the same intimacy and dependence upon the Father as Jesus did. How did Jesus do that? Through time. And intentionality. I I wish there was a secret sauce or a magic pill that you and I could all take to have this divine beautiful relationship with God, but it comes down to anything, like any human relationship, it takes time and it takes intentionality. And what happens when a relationship drifts, where time and intentionality drift, maybe you see that in your own home with your spouse or your kids, is that the relationship begins to suffer, doesn't it? And the only way to fix that is double down on time intentionality. Stop making excuses and make progress. Someone once said you can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. You know, make progress. Take a step. How did Jesus do that? Listen, it says in Mark 1-3 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He, He made, he prioritized relationship with God. Not just to be known by God, but to know the Father. He set up an example for you and I to follow. I wish it was was more complex. Honestly, as a pastor, I wish I could give you some secret sauce and unearth some treasure that you never heard about before. But I tell you what, you know how to hear the voice of God? Read His Bible. Read His Word. You know how to share your heart to God? You pray. (laughs) That's that's it. You want to hear what God wants to say to you? Open His Word. You want to share your heart to God? Pray. And I guarantee you, if you do that regularly, even daily, you will begin to hear and recognize the voice of God, and he will hear your heart. If you miss a day, just don't miss two. Just keep on moving forward and make prayer a priority. Make relationship a priority. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. How would it be if we could turn that around and say, God, how precious are my thoughts of you. How precious are my thoughts of you. I think about you daily. I meditate on you daily. I know you daily. And this is the opportunity you and I all have, Dartley, to be in relationship with Jesus. It's the invitation that the psalmist puts out in front of us that you and I not just know about God, but we can know God personally and intimately in a growing and thriving relationship. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet today. I'm going to speak to two people today. For the, One is maybe you're here and... You've never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe as we talk about this relationship to know God or be known by God, this is a new concept for you to even understand. And as I'm speaking, you're like, I, w- I would like to know God. I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I recognize that that's something missing in my life, and I recognize right now I can feel that there's a moment here where I want to respond to Jesus. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's, it's that simple in, in concept. It's that simple in initiality, but then you, like any relationship, you've got to invest time to learn the heart of God and to, to make changes in your life that will, thur- uh, will flourish and strengthen that relationship. But it starts with the simple understanding it says, I need Jesus. I need to be in relationship with Jesus. And maybe God is speaking to you today and He's tugging your heart and saying, Listen, I want to be in relationship with you. Will you be in relationship with me? The Bible says that for God so loved the world, He's loved you, your brokenness, and your sin. He loved you in your kind of ugliness and dysfunction that He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world to bridge a relationship between us and a holy God. And we can accept forgiveness and healing and life through His sacrifice, through His death and resurrection. And we can be made new, and we can engage in this new relationship. So in a moment, we're going to have a word of prayer. If that's you, I want to pray for you So as God's speaking to your heart. And secondly, maybe you're in here, and maybe you have a relationship with God, but if you're honest you can be, you've noticed that your relationship has drifted. Time has come between us. Maybe you haven't been sharing the heart of your heart to God or you haven't been reading his word or hearing his voice or even offering your own sentiments outside of a grace around a meal. And I'm here to tell you that God is inviting you back into a relationship with him. Don't settle for the relationship about God. Know him personally. Know him intimately. If you missed yesterday, don't miss today. Lean in allow God to speak to you. Even if it's just 10 minutes a day, start a discipline that will take you where desire can. Let's just bow our heads across this place. Father, I just thank you so much that your grace is new every morning. Your mercy is new every morning. Lord, thank you for your grace that loves us as we are but loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Thank you, Father, that every day you continue to reach out your hand in hopes that we would reach out our hand in return. And so, God, as we were reminded through this psalm that you see us, that you know us, that you made us, and that you desire to be in relationship with us, God, I pray like the psalmist, we would respond in kind, where we get to know you and know about you. God, that we would lean into a relationship that hears your voice and shares our hearts, that we would walk in faith and obedience and follow your leading in our life. God, we need you today. Whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, God, we respond to your call to open up our heart, to receive you into our life, and to be our Lord and Savior, to be our friend and our Father. Lord, we invite you to come in, to transform us, forgive us, restore us, and renew us. Lord, we accept the challenge, Lord, to walk with you. Lord, we know it's never easy. It's not supposed to be easy, but God, we thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, that you never make us do this alone, but you give us the power through your spirit, but also through your church that we may grow in relationship together. And so we invite you into our hearts today. We invite you into our homes. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and direct us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen, amen. Let's just sing this last song as a benediction and close. To